This coming Saturday will be the Ohio State versus Michigan game. It's been called the greatest rivalry in college football. It's not unusual for single tickets to sell for thousands of dollars for the big game. Both teams are undefeated this year and are ranked number two and number three in, in the uh, standings. So a uh, uh, short, white-haired lady had an empty seat beside her at the big game. And uh, Ohio Stadium, the horseshoe, seats 105,000 fans, and it is always sold out. That's why everyone was surprised to, to see a vacant seat. So finally, by halftime, when no one had arrived late to sit there, one student asked the elderly lady, do you know to whom that seat belongs? She said, yes, it belonged to my dear departed husband, Herbert. Oh, the student continued, don't, don't you have a friend or a, a family member who could use the ticket? No, the woman paused. They're all at the funeral. <laughs> That's a lot of commitment to a football team. Well, today I want us to focus on the, the topic of our commitment to the Lord. I want us to realize that as God calls each of us to greater commitment, he is able to do more than we ask or imagine. Our personal finances can be an area of struggle, of worry, where many lack confidence. For the past two weeks, we've been studying how to take God at his word and learning what God tells us about the wise use and management of our money. So today on Faith Promise Commitment Sunday, we focus on the topic, I will help you give more than you can imagine. This morning, I'm speaking primarily to those of you who have committed your lives to Christ and, and consider BCC to be your church home. What we see financial giving is the responsibility of those who have embraced Christ. And Christians are called to underwrite the divine duty of outreach. We don't expect non-Christians to finance the, the mission and work of the church. In fact, those are just the very people who are getting to know Jesus that we are who are already Christians, are called to, to be sacrificing to reach. So today is the, the culmination of our faith promise stewardship focus in which we will make our 2023 financial commitments to the Lord's work through BCC. And the question we each must answer this hour is, will I trust God enough to take God at his word and, and give back to him generously as he has commanded? That is, we encounter that, that question, I want us to look at three arenas of giving. And first, let's consider the economics of giving. We're described as, as being stewards, being called to wisely manage the resources that God has entrusted to us. Understanding God's sovereign ownership gives us balance. If our income is up, we praise God and and serve him faithfully without pride or, or greed. If our income is down, we trust God and we serve him with what we have and we expect him to provide for us. And thinking like a, a godly manager helps us keep materialistic desires in check. When we know that God is the owner, we will want to please him with our spending decisions and 
and guard against selfish desires. Before making a purchase, we can preface that purchase by asking ourselves, does God want me to spend this money on this item at this time? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And since God wants our hearts, he will work through our finances. And when we learn to trust him with our money, we will learn to trust him with everything, even our very lives. And so God's response to money problems is the same answer to health concerns, to family problems, or any other difficult circumstance in life. God wants us to trust him, not trust in ourselves, not trust in our job, not trust in our bank balance. One of the tools that, that we offer here to, to help will be taking place in, in January when we offer the, the Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University course that will be taught by Mark Kennedy. This course provides some pragmatic training on managing your money better. In the economics of giving, our consistent sacrificial giving here at Batesville provides for the expansion of sharing the gospel not only in our community, but around the world. It provides the, the teaching materials, the resources. It provides a facility that serves as a training center. And, and in many ways, this is the epicenter of God's blessing in our lives. It, it offers assistance to those who are in need of, of benevolent aid. Two weeks ago, we studied how the impoverished Christians in first century Macedonia still found a way to give generously to assist the famine-stricken Christians living in Jerusalem who were in even more dire need. And we read about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning in verse 3. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first to the Lord of all, and then by the will of God also to us. After we commit ourselves first and fully to the Lord, the rest will follow. Malachi 3 instructed that that first tenth, that first 10 percent, that tithe belongs to God and not to withhold it. And it declared that that's tantamount to, to robbing God. Malachi 3 verses 8 through 10, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw up on the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Sometimes well-intentioned people have determined, well, tithing sounds a little daunting. I think I'll ease into the tithe and make a gradual incremental steps toward that and 
I've heard people reason, this year I think I'll give a third of a tithe, and then next year I'll give two-thirds of a tithe, and, and by the third year I'll, I'll give God a full tithe. I want you to think about this this way. We, we don't approach spiritual trans, transformation that way in any other area of struggle, do we? We don't say, this year I'm going to tell the truth a third of the time, and, and next year I'll tell the truth two-thirds of the time, and by the third year, I'll be telling the truth all the time. Barry Cameron states, God doesn't say work on it. God doesn't say pray about it. God doesn't say see if you can fit tithing into your budget. That accommodation is from the devil. God clearly says, bring the whole tithe. He goes on to say, partial Obedience won't bring partial blessing. Some people think, I'll just obey God a little bit, and that will bring me a little bit of blessing. But he makes the point, understand that partial obedience is total disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. James 4.17 says, Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. So we're to bring the whole tithe. To fail to do so is, is robbing God according to Malachi 3.8. And tithing is a step of faith that today forces us to respond to the question, will I trust God enough to take him at his word and give back to him generously as he has commanded? In Philippians chapter 4, verse 19 he has promised to take care of us. It says, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Those words were written by the Apostle Paul. And just to give some context, uh, when Paul wrote those words, he was a prisoner uh, arrested for preaching the gospel. So he's writing from his jail cell and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. In other words, God's got this. He'll take care of you. Uh, he'll take care of me. Uh, I'm trusting him. Notice that, that God has promised to provide our needs, not necessarily our greeds. You, you may need a, a car for transportation, but you may not need a Lamborghini for that, that transportation. Those are the, the economics of giving. Let, let's continue. Let's explore the, the excellence of giving. I, I like the joke about the shady businessman who was known for his crooked dealings. And he, he called the minister to his deathbed and, and asked, if I write a check for a million dollars to the church, would God let me into heaven. Boy, the minister wrestled for a minute, paused with this, this moral dilemma, and, and finally he answered enthusiastically, I don't know, but it's worth a try. <laughs> yeah, I've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. You know, we're, we're reminded you can't take it with you, so it's a good idea to send it on ahead. And so we are each confronted with the question, Will I trust God enough to take God at his word and give back to him generously 
as he has commanded. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7. But since you excel in everything, in, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in love, we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. Excel in giving. Do your best. Give with excellence. By the gates of the treasury, still he sits, and he watches the gifts we bring. And he measures the gold that we give to him by the gold to which we cling. When we take God at his word, we begin to trust him with our finances. He partners with us, and we get to see him work up close. This last Wednesday in our, our life group, we came across this passage in our study of Ephesians. Ephesians 3, verse 20, where it reminds us that he is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Do you believe that? Have you found him to be faithful in keeping his word to you regarding your finances? When I served at Miami Town Church of Christ, we, we had an elder in the church who with his wife had made a commitment to, ten, to tithe 10% to the Lord, and they determined that each year of their marriage they would increase their giving by 1%. So 10% was the first year of marriage, 11% giving to the Lord the second year of marriage, 12% the third year of marriage, and, and so on. And faithfully, they kept this promise to God, and faithfully, he provided for them. And at the time that, that we were serving together, after more than 50 years of marriage, they were giving back to God over 60% of their annual income. C.S. Lewis said, I do not believe that one can settle how much we ought to give. Uh, I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, he says, if our expenditures and comforts and luxuries and amusements are up to the standard common with those of the same income as our own, we're probably giving too little. If our charities don't pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. We're surrounded by people who tell us, if you give it away, you're a sucker. You've earned it. You work hard. Keep it for yourself. And the Bible says just the opposite. It, it once again comes back to that question. Will I trust God enough to give back and take God at his word and give back to him generously as he has commanded? So we've looked at the economics of giving. And we've been challenged to approach the excellence of giving. Finally, let's consider the expression of giving. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 reminds us, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly 
so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. God owns everything. And he reserves the right to give money and possessions to his servants. And we must decide to use what God gives us in order to serve him, to, to bring him glory, rather than simply to satisfy our desires. George Mueller observed, God measures what we give by what we keep. And the ultimate joy is knowing that God will commend our, our faithful giving with well done. It's impossible to stay faithful to God without giving. This day can be a defining moment for you in your relationship with Christ. This may be the day when you begin to walk by faith and, and trust him in this area of finances as you have never fully done before. So today is a good day to make some important decisions. You've been reading the book, Take God at His Word. And if you didn't get a copy yet, grab one on, on the way out. It's a, a short read, but really helpful and goes along with the theme we've, we've been developing. We've been praying for the last three weeks, Lord, how much would you have me give? And it, it's time to move toward a decision to trust God's promises and, and act in obedience to Him. Wayne Smith is is known for his great sense of humor, but I remember him making a very solemn observation once when he had been asked by one of his church members, will I go to hell if I don't tithe? And Wayne's answer was quiet and penetrating when he said, no, but someone will. True giving emerges from a heart that loves God. You can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. And in gratitude, we must come to rely on him to sustain us, to, to bless our health, to provide our jobs, to, to give us the ability to earn an income. In just a few moments, you'll be invited to complete a, a faith promise commitment card, which came tucked in your, your bulletin, and in which you are asked to project the amount you want to give to the Lord with his help in, in 2023. And this is an unsigned, private covenant between all, only you and God. And the number you write down should represent uh, a stretch, a, a step of faith beyond what you can safely see to afford to give. Commitments should be made after much prayer. You may know how much money you have right now, but only God knows what you will have to give him in the coming year. So we've challenged you to pray in preparation, Lord, how much would you have me give to your work through BCC in 2023? And the biblical attitude toward possessions is, is not self-indulgence. It is make your money honestly, spend it wisely, and give it generously. And if we're going to combat the philosophy of this world, we must learn to practice those things. God's plan for finances will always bring you to the greatest point of financial freedom. And God's plan is that we honor him first 
with our financial resources. Oswald Smith put it this way, a faith promise commitment is a decision to give a specific amount to God's work based on God's future supply of the funds rather than one's present ability to give the money. The essential idea is to make a specific promise in faith relying on God to provide and enable fulfillment of that promise. If God doesn't supply, then you don't give. It's, it's up to him to provide. And Satan battles people more over baptism and tithing than anything else I know. You want to know why? The reason is because those are significant starting points in our walk of obedience to Christ. Satan wants to do anything he can to prevent us from embracing Christ wholeheartedly with our allegiance and with our finances. If we're ever going to really find a life of joy and freedom, we need to give our lives to Christ, be baptized, totally immersed, every part of us, even our our finances, and let him come into us and, and transform us through his Holy Spirit. God expects to be the first priority in the use of the money he's provided. And there are many reasons why I should give to God, but the, the primary reason I should give to God is to demonstrate that God is the number one priority in my life, that I love him more than anything else, and that's the way he has loved us. On one occasion, William Gladstone, the Prime Minister of of England, stood before the House of Commons and he informed them about the death of Princess Alice. It was an unusual, inspiring story. Princess Alice's daughter was very sick with diphtheria and the doctor had placed the little girl in isolation, forbidding anyone from having physical contact with her. But her mother could not stay out of the room. She would sit by the little girl's bedside with a damp cloth and mop her brow, trying to ease the fever. The fever broke, and the the small daughter started to come out of her coma. She pleaded, Mommy, hold me, kiss me. And Princess Alice felt it was too much for her love, for her to ignore her daughter, so she bent over and embraced her young daughter and kissed her but it was the kiss of death. The little girl got better. Princess Alice contracted diphtheria and died. When William Gladstone told that story to the House of Commons, he he concluded with this phrase, she gave her life on an impulse of love. Isn't that what Jesus did for us? He gave his life on an impulse of love. I'm going to ask you to stand right now. We're going to sing a a song of of invitation, a chance for you to make a decision and, and follow the Lord.